I watched Kiberia from 1914. The Italians were clearly at the forefront of the motion picture industry in its early days. Until I watched this film, nothing I'd seen so far had come close to Dante's Inferno, also an Italian film, but Kiberia blows that film out of the water. It was released on April 18, 1914, and it's the first true epic film. It really paved the way for directors like D.W. Griffith and Cecil B. DeMille, both of whom almost immediately began creating epic films of their own after seeing this. Griffith was actually working on a film at the time. He saw Kiberia, he scrapped it, he started over, and the result is Intolerance, which is considered his own epic classic. And I can't emphasize enough how different this film is from anything I've viewed to this point. After watching, I searched to see if maybe I'd missed some predecessor to Kiberia that set the stage for what I'd just seen, but I found nothing. Director Giovanni Pastroni invented the wheel here, so to speak. For starters, the sets are astounding. The Temple of Moloch has to be seen to be believed, as do a number of other spectacles created for this film. There's fantastic battles, impressive stunts. At one point, this legion of soldiers forms this sort of human pyramid, using their shields as platforms to create a makeshift staircase for someone to scale a classic wall. And you just, you have to see that. It's obviously, they really did it, and it looks great. Uh, To me, the highlight of the film, I think, is when Archimedes shows up. And you may recall from your history, or from your math classes, or in my case, from my Latin class, that Archimedes was the greatest mathematician of his age. He lived in Syracuse, Sicily, and his inventions were crucial to the city's defense against the invading Romans. This is when a mathematician is a war hero. He invented what could only be described as a death ray, which was quite a feat in 214 BC, and he used this death ray to burn the Roman ships during the siege of Syracuse. And Kiberia includes that weapon along with the claw of Archimedes, other inventions in really stupendous fashion. The camera work in this film is more sophisticated than any film that came before it. And though Pastroni didn't invent the tracking shot, he employed it to a degree far beyond what anyone else before him had done. He pioneered the concept of the moving camera. And Kiberia, I looked this up, it contains 52 moving camera shots. And this is in an era when only a handful of films ever utilized any camera movement at all. Before this, filmmakers would sometimes use a panorama effect, moving the camera up and down or from side to side to show basically a static scene. But Pastroni used a dolly to actually move the camera, which allowed him to zoom in and out of a scene. This method of moving a camera to create depth via movement, which was something previously only accomplished through set design, came to be known as the Kiberia shot, and was subsequently replicated and improved upon by many directors. The film itself takes place during the Second Punic War, which is between 218 and 202 BC, 
and combines the historical accounts of the Roman historian Livy, primarily from Ab Urbi Condita, which is his history of the founding of Rome, mixed with Gustave Flaubert's 1862 novel Salambo, and Emilio Salgari's 1908 novel Carthage in Flames. And the history itself is fascinating. If you've forgotten it or if you never learned it, it's well worth reading or revisiting. I won't go into great detail, but the short version is that Rome, which at the time consisted only of what's now known as Italy, Sicily, Sardinia, and Corsica, was at war with Carthage, which controlled most of northern Africa, as well as the lower half of what's now Spain. Probably the best-known aspect of the war, and if there's one thing that someone will know about the Second Punic War, it is the Carthaginian general Hannibal's invasion of Italy, which he accomplished by crossing the Alps with North African war elephants. And initially, he was successful. He was in the process of, of winning the war. But in the end, Rome won the war, primarily due to the Roman general Scipio, who defeated the Carthaginians and their Numidian allies, forcing Carthage to recall Hannibal. And in the war's decisive final battle, Scipio defeated Hannibal at Zama in what is now Tunisia. Scipio became known as Scipio Africanus. He, he conquered North Africa. That history is the background to Cabiria, which overlays the story of a young Sicilian girl named Cabiria, the daughter of Bato, who was stolen by Phoenician pirates during the confusion following an eruption of Mount Etna. Also a great scene in the film as the volcano erupts. Cabiria is taken to Carthage and is about to be sacrificed to the god Moloch in what is without a doubt the most awe-inspiring spectacle that had yet been filmed when she is rescued by Fulvius Axilla, a Roman patrician and Maciste, his slave, who are in Carthage acting as spies. Though unable to free her, they do manage to deliver her to Sophonisba, who happens to be Hannibal's niece, but they don't know that. They chance upon her, and they beg her to take care of the child, and she agrees. Years pass, and as the tide of the battles turn in Rome's favor, Massinissa, king of Numidia, and Sophonisba's husband-to-be, switches sides. He joins the Romans. He helps the Romans. This leads to Sophonisba outing Cabiria as having been marked in childhood for sacrifice. She thinks that it must be because she saved the child or she didn't turn the child back in that the gods are punishing her people. So now the adult Cabiria is taken by the high priest to rectify the mistake. Massinissa intervenes. He sends Fulvius and Maciste to warn Sophonisba that he's, she's going to be paraded through Rome as a spoil of the war. She kills herself to avoid that fate and summons Cabiria from the prison where she's awaiting her fate and allows Fulvius and Maciste to spirit her away and bring her back to her family in Sicily as her dying act of kindness. Along the way, Fulvius declares his love for Cabiria, and the film comes to a close with the happy couple sailing amidst sea sprites who are celebrating their newfound love. The film is a lot to take in. The battles, the history, the story of Cabiria, 
it's all cut together. It's also unlike any other film, too, in the way it's got these sort of disparate storylines interwoven. Nonetheless, it really flies by on the screen. It never bored me. And like all the films of the area, there's an episodic nature to it. Certain moments are drawn out so the actors can convey visually what they can't convey through speech. But the pacing works. I was hooked from the start through the final scene, and I'm definitely going to watch this film again in the near future. And I'm not alone. Kiberia was an audience pleaser. It was very successful in its day. Made about a million dollars at the box office, which was a lot back then. It was also the first film to ever be shown at the White House. So all in all, a resounding success for Italian cinema and a huge step forward for cinema in general. This was like, this is a turning point. Movies are different after Kiberia. Kiberia kind of kicks off the modern era of filmmaking. Uh, next, I'm going to watch The Avenging Conscience from 1914, directed by D.W. Griffith.